Hi, my name is Dominic Graziano, and I'm on media staff. You're listening to week eight of the Falls Creek Podcast. The speaker this week was Ed Newton. Amen. You may be seated as you're being seated. What's up, Falls Creek Week 8? How are we feeling tonight? We good? My name's Ed Newton. On the count of three, I need you to say, what's up, Ed? One, two, three. And then on the count of three, I want you to shout your name as loud as possible. One, two, three. Incredible. Now, how many of you, this is your very first time to ever be at Falls Creek? Would you just raise your hand? Come on. Look at these amazing hands. Come on. We could get a little bit louder for our new friends and family. Here at Falls Creek. How many of you are middle school students? Could you just make some noise? I want to know who I'm talking to tonight. Come on, middle school students, make some noise. Yeah. How many of you are high school students? We got some high school students in the house. How many of you are guys? Like you are a male, male nation. Come on, rise up, make some noise. Love it. And all the ladies in the house, shout, make some noise. Now, fellas, you ought to be encouraged by that. Obviously, there's more ladies than fellas here at camp. That is, you seem to be outnumbered two to one, and all God's fellas said amen. Amen. We're grateful for all of you. How many of you are fearless leaders? That is, our chaperones. That is, these responsible adults in the room. Come on, make some noise, adults. I love it. It was almost like you were confused. You, you didn't know whether or not to, like, kind of just shout real loud or all of a sudden in that moment, like, you're going, okay, I don't want anybody to make fun of me. But here's what you need to know. Adults, this week of camp doesn't happen without you. We are grateful. You are the true heroes. Obviously, Jesus is the hero. But you are the heroes of this week of camp because without you saying yes, these incredible students do not have people that would bring them to this place, which means right now, students, I need you to put your hands together for all these incredible fearless leaders. Yeah. Awesome. Now, if we've not met, my name's Ed. I'm a pastor in San Antonio, Texas. Anybody from Texas in the house? Awesome. Yep. And then the rest of you are from Oklahoma. I'm assuming the rest of you are from Oklahoma. Let's just do this. How many of you are not from either two of those states, Texas or Oklahoma? Anybody else? Thank you. Wow. It's good to have you here. Welcome to the great state of Oklahoma. Welcome to what I consider the greatest camp in the world. That is Falls Creek. And I'm telling you, we are a part of something that is significant and supernatural to God be the glory, and he's going to do great things. But my name's Ed. My wife's name is Stephanie. We've been married almost 21 years. I'm going to pause to see if anybody claps for that. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Thank you for clapping at that. I, I, I didn't know if you are going to clap for that or not, but that's significant. Hello. That's significant for me. Almost 21 years. My wife's name's Stephanie. we got four kids, London, Lola, Liv, and Lawson. That is, got an 11th grader. Any soon-to-be 11th graders in the house? Yeah. Some of you are confused by that. You're like, uh, I don't know. All right. So waiting to find out the final verdict. All right. And then I also got a ninth grader. Any ninth graders in the house? Any ninth graders? Got an eighth grader in the house. Any eighth graders in the house? Yep. And then we have a sixth grader in the house. Any soon to be sixth graders in the house? Yeah. Awesome. Such an awkward time. It really is. Which means that I got two high school kids and two middle school kids, which means that at some level, even though you may not be able to see me from this, this seat that you're in right now, that is, I am the old dude on the stage. And I just want to say this, there's no greater joy in all the earth 
to be able to stand and speak, but also pour into you this week. And it's an honor to be here at False Creek. My kids have grown up here at False Creek. I believe this is my 11th year of being at False Creek. I love this place. I love everything about this place. Matter of fact, I still have a fork taped to my microphone because the best is yet to come. Grateful for that. And so for those of you that are just new to what's happening at False Creek, what we believe is that God wants to do something in your life. And somehow, some way, for some of you, very much you can relate with my journey. I didn't grow up in church. Both my parents are deaf, hearing impaired. I'm an only child. I have no brothers and sisters. And my mom and dad, yes, were followers of Jesus, but they did not go to a church regularly because there was not a church that offered sign language. That is a deaf ministry. However, what I am so thankful of is that there were some people in our life that would continue to invite us to church but I did not come to know Jesus until I was a high school kid. And what I mean by come to know Jesus, I'm not talking about intellectually know about Jesus. I intellectually knew about Jesus. But there's a distinct difference between knowing Jesus here in your head and knowing Jesus in your heart. Come on, can I get an amen from somebody in the house? And as a high school kid, it dropped 16 inches into my heart. That is, I'm still a work in progress now, about to be 44 years old. I don't have this all figured out. I just know this, that Jesus found me when I was not looking for him. That is, my life was forever flipped upside down as a ninth grader, and in the process of that, it wasn't until my 10th grade year that we got involved in church, and I'm so thankful for my very first Christian friend. His name's Sean Callender, he's a pastor in Dallas, and my very first Christian friend began to introduce me to Christian music. Some of the music I was listening to obviously was anti-Jesus music, I, I didn't even know there were such things as like rap groups known as DC Talk, I, I had no idea. There was Christian radio channels like Z88.3 in Orlando, Florida. I had no idea that there were such things as that. And my very first Christian friend was so patient with me. That is, he pursued me from the perspective of going, Ed, I believe that there's something more that God has in store for you. And he was one of those individuals that cared for my soul. My very first time to ever go to youth camp, I was a senior in high school. And I just want to ask a question tonight because I believe there's some people in the room that would just go, Ed, this whole Jesus thing, I'm just being honest with you, like, I don't really understand it. I'm here because my friend invited me. And can we just start with that? And I don't want to put you on the, on the spot. I'm not trying to embarrass you tonight. But I could so relate with your story. That this whole camp thing, and not only that, but the largest Christian camp in the world, which, by the way, I don't say that, like, flippantly. This is the largest Christian camp in the world. So, like, your very first time to ever go to camp or ever be a part of a camp, you're like, okay, my first time to ever go to camp, I go to the largest Christian camp in the world. And you have this idea like, okay, this is a small city. Like we have our own cell phone tower here at Falls Creek. And in the process of that, you're like, okay, what, what is all this icy date stuff? And what's going on with like these volleyball tournaments? And like people lose their ever-loving mind to get that particular award. And it's worth it. Then in the process of all of that, you're like, okay, I have no idea. I don't even speak fluent Christianese. And you're like, I don't get this. How many of you would just be completely honest and go, I've never been to camp before in my entire life, and to be honest with you, like, I'm here, I'm thankful that I'm here, but I have no idea what all of this is about. I could relate with you. I just want to know who I'm talking to tonight. How many of you would just be honest about that? Anybody in the room tonight just going, Ed, I've never been to camp ever before in my entire, just raise your hand right now. Come on, don't be embarrassed, don't be ashamed. Come on, it's good. Can we put our hands together for these folks? Incredible. Incredible. And that was me. Like, the, these people that raised their hand, my first time to ever go to camp, I was a high school senior. But God did something in my life that particular summer that I'll never forget that ultimately would lead me to this place. 
My goal ultimately was not to stand on a stage and be some speaker. I just wanted to follow Jesus the best way I knew how. But I knew that in the midst of my journey and all that God had brought me through, that he had something in store for me. I want to speak that over your life tonight. But if you have a Bible, I want to show you from God's word how God uses people in your life to bring you to Jesus. And so as we get to Mark chapter 2, if you got a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 2. I love that. The tradition stays alive. For some of you, you're like, I have no idea why everybody just cheered at that moment. Several years ago, we just said, hey, can we just lose our mind? Can we just, like, begin to cheer for the fact that we have a Bible? The number one lost and found item in churches all across America is not umbrellas, it's Bibles. And if we're going to be a generation that turns the world upside down, we've got to be a generation that loves God's Word. And in the process of that, we champion God's Word. And as we champion God's Word, what we know to be true is this is that God's word is not a book filled with cruel commandments. God's word is a book filled with sweet solutions to life. Come on, can I get an amen from somebody in the house? And so several years ago, we just started cheering for God's word. We don't worship the Bible, we worship the God of the Bible. I'll say that again. We don't worship the Bible, we worship the God of the Bible that would give us his word. And because of that, our prayer is that we would not just underline verses, but these verses would underline us. We wouldn't just read through the Bible, the Bible would read through us. That's our prayer tonight. And so if you got a Bible, Mark chapter 2, that's why we're going to land there. We're going to look at a few verses. And so every night we start, I'm going to say, open up your Bible. And I just want you to cheer if that's okay with you. We're just going to cheer and just say, thank you, God, that you would love us enough to give us your word. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse, amen. Thank you. I love that. All right, come on. It's like we take communion with power bars and, and some, like, Red Bull. It's awesome, right? So I love that. By the way, this is not a monologue. A monologue just means I'm talking and you listen. I, I just want you to know that you got full freedom. At our church in San Antonio, Texas, our people talk back to me. I just need you to know this is a dialogue. So if there's a moment where you're like, yes, I connect with that, it's okay. You want to say something, but like, yeah, keep bringing it, Ed. Whatever you want to say, I, I just need you to know I believe being ADD is a spiritual gift. So like you're not, you're not going to sidetrack me unless a squirrel walks across this stage. I promise you. That's the only way I'll get distracted if something walks across this stage. But as we get to Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Now, Jesus did not have a home, by the way. Most likely, he's in Simon Peter's house, which, by the way, for those of you that are like, I have no idea who Simon Peter is, he's one of the disciples of Jesus. He's got 12 disciples. And what you'll find out is as Jesus is preaching and teaching, he ends up at Simon Peter's house. And it's there in that moment where all of a sudden folks begin to kind of swell the crowd begins to move, that is, gigantically. That is, this massive moment of people wanting to hear the story of how this man is changing what we would know as the known civilization. This guy by the name of Jesus is literally flipping the world upside down. So people come to hear him as he preaches and teaches. But notice in verse 2, it says, And many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. I want to make this statement. The word is preaching the word. John chapter 1 would say this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14 would say the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word is logos. How does God speak to us? He speaks to us through words, but the greatest word he could ever give us is Jesus. And there in that moment he gives us the full expression of the heart of God the Father found in living flesh. That is, Jesus would download himself into human anatomy, biology, but yet 100% man, 100% God, 
And yet, as he walked across this earth, he's got enough time to hang out in a house, and he's preaching and teaching the word. He's sharing what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And notice in verse 3, and they came. We don't know who the they is. And they came. Our theme is mystery. The mystery tonight is we don't know who the they is. All we know is it's four dudes. We don't know if they work out at Planet Fitness. We, we don't know if they're college students, a part of a fraternity. We, we don't know if they're in a small group together. We don't know if they're involved in a youth ministry. We don't know if they work at Chick-fil-A together. Come on, anybody? Right now I could use some Chick-fil-A, I'm telling you. We, we have no idea what these guys' story is. Like, we have no idea. We don't know how many Instagram followers they got. We don't, we don't know their Snapchat story. We have no idea what's going on. All we know is this, that these four guys are in connection to somebody, and I want you to write this down, point number one, that they are concerned about. There is a known concern. Verse 3, and they came bringing to him, which we do not know this guy's name, but here's the description. It is a paralytic carried by four men. As we talk about this known concern, these four men saw somebody, and not only did they see somebody, they chose to serve somebody. One of the things that you need to know is that for all of us in this place tonight, whether somebody paid your way to come to this camp, somebody had a concern for you. Somebody cared about you. Somebody had compassion towards you. For the person that's in the room, which is the reason why I asked the question, how many of you were invited by somebody, or better yet, this is your first time to ever come to camp, here's what you need to know, that somebody invited you, and whether you felt as if like you were completely bribed to come to this camp, or you were duct taped, thrown into the back of some church van and given like a couple of Cheez-Its to sustain you on the bus ride here, it's not an accident that you're here, that there was a concern for you. My prayer for us is that we would understand that God uses people in people's lives to show Jesus through you. Your life, my life, is a walking billboard of something. And these four men saw somebody that most people would overlook. Now, I don't have time to unpack this tonight, but one of the things that you need to know is for somebody to be described as a paralytic, both my parents are deaf, my mom's got cerebral palsy, my mom is in a wheelchair. So I grew up in government-subsidized housing, I grew up in what would be called this government subsidized housing unit for all those that were handicapped. My next door neighbor was a quadriplegic. That is quad four, all like arms, legs, incapable of moving. But a paraplegic, that would be pair, that would be two. So we don't know if they, this individual's hands and arms don't move. We, we don't know if their legs don't move. We just know this, this individual is described as a paralytic, which means in Bible times, and this is jacked up thinking, but this is actually what's happening, that when somebody had a disability or disease, much like my mom, they would have been considered as if they did something wrong, like God punished them, judged them, or to say that you maybe have not done something wrong, but your mom and dad did something wrong, and so God got your mom and dad's attention by inflicting pain and punishment to you. And can I just correct that? That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that. But there are a lot of people that thought that way. That is, they, they did not see people that would ultimately be marginalized or even overlooked or unnoticed. But I want you to begin to put yourself into the situation or the scenario or even the mindset of the paralytic. You're like, Ed, I, I, I'm not a paralytic. No, listen to me. 
Apart from the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, I need you to understand all of us are in need. Every single one of us are in need of something. But you and I cannot get ourselves to Jesus. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.11 says no one seeks after God. So therefore, Ephesians 2.1 is true. We are dead in our sin. Which means that in and of ourselves, we cannot muster up strength and energy to come to Jesus on our own because our heart is rebellious towards God, which means that we cannot move towards God. Thus, God, and this is what's so amazing about Christianity, Christianity is so different from any other world religion because every world religion says this, you got to move to God. That your good works and your good deeds, but that's not the message of Christianity it's not you move to God, God moves to you. God moves to you. And here's how God moves to you. God actually puts people in your life that care enough about you that somehow, way, would become your arms, your hands, your feet, your legs, and begins to make a choice because they see you. I'm looking into the faces, yes, an incredible sea of people. But I need you to know that in this room, there are people that feel as if nobody sees you. But I want you to know this, that as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus, we don't walk into rooms to be seen. We walk into rooms to see. And God wants you to know that he has been pursuing you. He's been relentlessly chasing after you. And one of the ways that he has been proving that to you is by putting people into your path that care for you, that see you, and want to serve you. And one of the beautiful things about Falls Creek Week 8 is that every bit of this incredible week of camp is just reminding you that not only does God love you, he actually likes you too. He cares for you. And these relentless, fearless adults in this room, I want you to listen to me. For many of which would have to take a week of camp into a vacation category, which means that they had to give up days that they could be somewhere else on vacation, but chose to vacation in Davis, Oklahoma, Falls Creek, week eight, sleeping in a dorm or a cabin with maybe 47 teenagers that all snore like Chewbacca and would say this is the greatest vacation destination place in the world. You know why? It's, it's not the food. It's not the cabin. It's not the games. It's not this facility. It's not what the, the majesty of what we get to witness in the hill country is that God has a history of showing up and showing off in this place. And you got some people that have surrounded you that go, hey, you may feel as if nobody cares about you. You may feel as if nobody's got compassion for you. And in the Bible, we're talking about four friends. And it may just be one friend. It could be three friends. It could be 13 friends. It could be seven adults. But I just need you to know that the reason why you're here tonight is because not only God has been chasing after you, but there's some people in your life that actually care about you. We absolutely care about you. And so there's this shared concern. And the concern is our friend can't get to Jesus that's in that house. And that house is packed out to the gills. Like they're at the door. They're hanging out of the windowsill. And therefore, these four friends, not only with a shared concern. And point number two, write this down. Not only did they have a shared concern, but number two, they had a shared conviction. A shared conviction. I want you to listen to this in verse 4. Y'all still with me? Say yeah. 
Mark chapter 2, verse 4 says this, And when they could not get near him, now who's the him? It's Jesus. Because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed in which the paralytic lay. Point number one, we saw that they had a shared concern or a known concern. Number two, they had a known conviction. When they could not get near him because of the crowd. What I'm so thankful for about these four friends wanting their one friend to get to Jesus, they did not come to the place where Jesus was at. And because it was too late, that would be the equivalent of walking into this place. There's not a seat available. Now, there's seats available tonight. But it'd be the equivalent of walking into this home. There's no seats available. The music is already gone by. Jesus is in his fourth and final point. And it's like, okay, I'm so thankful when I read into this story, these four friends did not look at what was happening circumstantially around them and look at their friend and go, hey, listen, we're too late. But instead, they begin to look into every nook and cranny, beginning to look through the shoulders of so many different people and begin to get up on their tiptoes and go, okay, Jesus is in the center. Jesus in the house. And they begin to assess the situation. And their conviction was this, that whatever is happening in this place, whether folks think we're crazy, whether folks think our butter has slid off our biscuit, whatever that looks like to everybody else, we could care less about what anybody thinks. We got to get our friend to Jesus. And they were not trying to get their friend to Jesus because Jesus was popular. They were trying to get their friend to Jesus because Jesus was powerful. He's powerful. He changes lives. And for some of you that find yourself here at camp, week eight, Falls Creek, what you need to know is this. We didn't bring you to camp this week because we feel as if that every bit of Falls Creek is popular. There's a lot of popular things that happen here at Falls Creek. But can I tell you this? We brought you here because our Jesus is powerful. And no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter the scars in your life, no matter what you're going through, the addiction that you're facing right here, right now, every bit of your junk in your life, I need you to know that our Jesus is not put off by that. That our Jesus, our Jesus welcomes you into this relationship with him, not with the mindset of go clean up your life and then come to me. But instead, he says, come to me just as you are. But sometimes we can't get there on our own. Here's the reason why, because the crowd is in the way. The crowd's in the way. The people that were in the house, some of them were for Jesus, like they're team Jesus. But there's also some folks in the house that were ultimately critical of Jesus. But somehow, some way, it was preventing the one who needed Jesus the most from getting on the inside. And one of the things that I need you to know, for some of you that are brand new to this whole thing of Christianity in a week of camp, oftentimes our misconstrued idea of what church is all about, or maybe you had an encounter with a Christian that was incredibly rude, or maybe even narcissistic, which is a big word that would just say it was all about them. Or maybe they said something that was so damaging and hurtful and you're like, I want nothing to do with Christianity. And then you met a friend that's sitting on the same row with you. Or maybe you met a leader, a coach, or a teacher that just said, hey, I'm going to camp and somebody in our church has paid your way. I'd love for you to come. And you're giving this whole thing of Jesus a second chance. I just need you to know is this, that these four friends, despite the crowd, had not only a concern but also had a conviction. And the conviction was this, if we can just get our friend to the feet of Jesus, no matter what's happened in this individual's life, that is, broken pieces become masterpieces, and things that are insignificant become indescribable. 
And our Jesus takes messes and turns them into miracles. And those things that seem as if they're shattered, he turns them into sculptures of grace and mercy and truth. And what we know to be true is that religion will never fix you. Only Jesus can change you. Only Jesus can transform you. And these four, four men not only had a shared concern, but had a shared conviction. And that is, it's not too late. Can I just speak that over somebody's life tonight? It's not too late for you. You're like, man, you don't understand what I've done. Like what I did last night before I came to camp. For some of you, it's like, Ed, you don't even know what I got in my suitcase that I brought to camp. And some of you are like, uh, does, he, does he know? Like, no, I don't know. I just kind of made that up in the moment. But can I say this? That Jesus knows everything that you brought. And I'm not talking about what's in your suitcase. Everything that you've somehow, someway suppressed down into your heart. Every bit of, of the broken pieces that have taken place in your life. And there's a God that loves you and pursues you and wants to be in a relationship with you. And God is using the people around you to somehow, someway break through the crowd. And the crowd is representative of everything that would serve as an obstacle. But I need you to understand this. That your obstacle that oftentimes prevents you from seeing Jesus is not an obstacle, it's an opportunity. And the opportunity for us tonight is to somehow, some way, find another way for you to see Jesus, which is what I love about camp. Oftentimes there's this idea of going into a church and we have this, this expectation that we have to look a certain way and act a certain way, but then... All of a sudden we come to camp and things just get real and things are raw. And there's moments in our cabin time where somebody begins to share a testimony. You go like, wow, I didn't even know you struggled with that. I struggled with that. And then things get broken down. Like you, all of a sudden you get some distance from every bit of your social media. And somehow, someway you come to camp, you eat camp food, you get sleep deprived and you compete and you do all these things. And God begins to chisel away at everything that serves as an obstacle preventing you from seeing Jesus. And what happens is, is that somehow, way, you really begin to see what God's been doing. And it's not just a shared conviction that your friends had. It's not just a shared concern, but it's a shared commitment. It's a shared commitment. I want you to write that down. Point number three, it's a shared commitment. So these four friends, we don't know their names, but as they begin to assess the situation, they all of a sudden get this idea. And the idea is, we got to get to the roof. Now, I don't know why they thought about the roof. Maybe there was another window they could have gone through, another back door they could have gone through. But somehow, someway, they begin to assess the situation. So there's a shared concern. What's the concern? Our friend cannot get to Jesus on his own. So we become his legs. We become his feet. And we will carry him to Jesus. And as they get to the house, it's completely filled. Therefore, there's no room at all for anybody else to get in. But they don't think they're too late. It's not too far gone. These four men all of a sudden go into what I would consider like this Navy SEAL mentality. Whatever it takes to get our friend into the presence of Jesus. Now, these four friends, as we talk about this idea of a shared or known commitment. Listen to this at the very end of verse 4. It says, they removed the roof above him, and when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now watch this. These four, four friends, as I begin to kind of just play this out with a sanctified imagination, you think about these four friends. There had to be somebody, and this is the way I download this into just the way I can understand it. There had to be a friend that was like, hey, listen, we, we got to get our friend into the presence of Jesus, and we're going to the roof. 
And it's in that moment that somebody's like, hey, so when we get to the roof, what are we going to do? And there's a guy going, hey, listen, I got an uncle that owns a rope business, and I think we're going to lower him down. And then all of a sudden, you got somebody going, okay, I, I got a connection. Don't, don't miss this. I got a connection to somebody that's got access to ropes. He's already got the mat. He's already got the bed. But we got to lower him down. And so he plays his part. And then the next person goes, hey, listen, you got the rope connection, but here's what I got. I have a construction background because that, that hay is somehow intermingled with that clay. And as we begin to get through that, we're gonna, it's going to require some like ability to break through that. And that is schematically, I know what it takes to put that together. And I also know what it takes to pull that apart. So watch this. You got somebody with a rope connection and you got somebody with a construction background that goes, when we get to the roof, I know exactly what to do. And then that third person is not only the rope connection, not just somebody with a construction background. It's somebody with like a pocket protector protractor, mathematical formula calculators, like, hey, listen, I know how to calculate this. That is, because here's the deal. Like, I, I look through the window, because this is how this goes down. We got to the door, I looked through the window, and as I was on my tippy toes, I know where Jesus is at, and I've kind of just mathematically figured this out. This, this home is less than maybe 700 square feet, and Jesus is in the center, because, hey, thank you, Tom, like Tom, you, you got a construction background, but if you dig a hole in the wrong spot, we're not going to be able to get Jesus, or that, that is our friend, in the presence of Jesus, because we dig a hole in the wrong spot, then we got to dig another hole, and that's not going to be good. We got one chance to get our friend into the presence of Jesus. And so somehow, some way, mathematically, this guy's already figuring this out, and so you got four people working together, using their gifts and their talents and their abilities, and one's going, I got a rope connection. The other person's going, hey, listen, I got a construction background. The third person with a mathematical formula just that he has already somehow, some way figured out. And he's like, okay, if we lower him down, because we can't just lower him down at the, at the wrong place in the wrong moment. And then the fourth person is going, okay, I'm in charge of counting. I'm going to count because, like, we, we got the whole, we've got the moment, we see Jesus, which by the way, every preacher is always looking for that really cool object illustration, but this object illustration is happening right in the moment of Jesus' teaching. And all of a sudden, Jesus, as he's preaching about the kingdom of God, all of a sudden, these particles of dust started beginning to fall down, and people are like, okay, I, I hear something, like there's footsteps, and all of a sudden, there's a, a beam of light that begins to shine in, and then it all of a sudden turns into this gaping hole, and there's four dudes, everybody look this way, four dudes are like, yep, that's him. That's him. And folks are like, uh, uh, we're having a hard time. And Jesus, this is what I, I, I just love this about Jesus, because we don't know this from the passage, but Jesus just keeps teaching as if he doesn't see this. He knows, which by the way, he, he's all-knowing, so he already knew this was going to happen before it happened. So he doesn't even look up. Like they're, they're digging that moment, and all of a sudden they're digging through the through the thatch roof, and they begin, and I can just picture that fourth guy going, listen, we got to make sure we go on three. So I could just picture this because this is how dudes are. Dudes are like, okay, do you mean like on three, after three, before three? Like we get one, two, lower, one, two, three, lower, one, two, three, pause, lower. Because if we do not somehow sync this up, one dude is going to lower, another dude is going to hold up, and our friend's going to slide off the mat, and he's going to land on Jesus, and that ain't going to be good. That's not good. We, we, we can't have Bill land on Jesus. So four guys using their gifts and talents and abilities, working together in cooperation, systematically, 
strategically caring for their friend all of a sudden begin to lower him down. And it leads us to this last point. We'll wrap this up. These four friends had a shared concern. They cared for this dude. Number two, they had a shared conviction. And the conviction is this. Jesus is the only one that can change this guy's life. By the way, can I say this from this stage? Night one, week eight. Can I just say this to you? Jesus Christ is the only one that can change your life. He's the only one. But it is a shared commitment. I want you to listen to me. Oftentimes at a week of camp, it's like it's about the band and it's about the speaker. But I want you to listen to me. We as youth pastors, we as leaders are strategically working together like these four men using our talents and gifts and abilities. And our goal this week at Falls Creek is to do one thing, and that is to remove all obstacles from you seeing Jesus and to lower you into the presence of Jesus, not in the wrong spot, not off, but somehow, some way that you would be lowered into the presence of Jesus and you will embrace point number four, and that is it's a known confession. What is that known confession? When that moment happens, Jesus says this in verse 11. In verse 11, these words are true. He said this, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Now I want you to notice what he says in verse 5, and we'll connect verse 5 and verse 11. Verse 5 says this, and when Jesus saw their faith, not just the paralytic's faith, but his friend's faith, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. So let's connect verse 5 and verse 11. So this paralytic is lowered into the presence of Jesus. And it's at that moment, like here's the moment. These four friends leaning into the hole, they're like high-fiving each other. They're like, yes, this worked. The calculated event, it took place. The construction all worked together. The rope holders, they all worked together. And in that moment, all of a sudden, they lay him right in front of Jesus. And Jesus goes, your sins are forgiven. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, that's cool, Jesus, but like, dude can't walk. Like, that, that's awesome, Jesus. But we brought him here because he needs to walk. And at that moment, there's this phrase. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. So that's happening internally. And meanwhile, the Pharisees and Sadducees, you're like, yeah, I don't even know who the Pharisees and Sadducees are. All you need to know, they're like Paul Blart, the mall cop. That's all you need to know. They're just religious experts that are not packing heat, but they'll tase you in a heartbeat with religion. That's what they do. They're really good at that. They're like the spiritual varsity team. And. They make people like me and you feel really bad because we don't know a whole lot about the Bible. And all of a sudden they're grumbling amongst themselves and Jesus looks at those people. He already knows what they're saying and he just says this. And just in case you don't think I am who I am, he looks at that man. Now hang with me. Y'all still with me? Say yeah. And at that moment, he looks at this man who's been lowered right in front of him and he says, rise up, take your mat and walk. Now watch this. It's at that moment four dudes are looking through a hole and they're going, that's what I'm talking about. And at that moment, that dude, think about this. The Bible says he's a paralytic, most likely because of the fact that he had to be carried. We understand that his lower extremities, his legs and his feet and his ankles did not work properly. 
And somehow, someway, strength began to get in his legs. Strength began to get in his ankles, and he could feel it. Obviously, that is that power rushing through every fiber in his leg. And he begins to stand up and think about this. Jesus could have said, rise up and walk. But instead, he says, rise up, take up your mat and walk. What was that mat? That mat was his past. That mat was every bit of the shame and the guilt of his former condition. Why would Jesus say, rise up, roll up your mat, and walk? Here's the reason why. Because this is our prayer for you, that your past and your struggle and every, every bit of the scars that you've ever faced, you would understand that God is not the author of evil, but he works all things together for his good. So he'll use your past and he will call you to take every bit of your pain, every bit of your struggle, every bit of your scar, every bit of your trial and tribulation, every circumstance that you've gone through. And because Jesus gets in the mix, he transforms it, redeems it, glorifies himself through it. And then he says this, I need you to rise up, take your mat and go back home. And when you walk out of this, now watch this. Here's this paralytic man, rolls up his mat. And could you imagine this? The very door he can't get through because he came through the roof, all of a sudden he's walking out with that mat going, excuse me, 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 excuse me. Yep, that's me. I'm the guy that was lowered through the roof. I'm walking out of this house. And as he walked out, he goes back home. And could you imagine this? He goes back home because Jesus said, go back home. You know why he told him to go back home? Because as he walked back to his house with that mat, you know what that mat was? It was his testimony. It was his testimony. They're like, listen, uh, we know a guy looks like you, like he's a paralytic. And they go, yeah, that was me. I met Jesus. And he spoke over my life. Son, your sins are forgiven. And then he said this, rise up, take your mat, and go back home. And here's what I want to say to you, because I wanted to start tonight with this message so that when we get to Friday night, you would understand what we're aiming for. What we're aiming for is this, is that you will know that you are a son and daughter of of God and you would know that Jesus is the only one that could forgive your sin and he'll call you he'll call you to rise up and not just rise up and do nothing but to rise up and take up your mat every bit of your your story your struggle your scars every bit of everything that you brought back to this place that you would understand that God will use that as you go back home so that you could bring more people to Jesus through your story can I say this to you God's got a purpose and plan for you being here this week. Heads bowed, eyes closed for just a brief moment. God, we thank you. We praise you. We thank you, God, for all the strategic effort of how you're using people to bring us to this place. And we know that, God, you're faithful, you're true, and I thank you, God, for the people that you've put in this place that care so deeply for teenagers that they would know who Jesus is. And I pray, God, that every student in this place would hear you call them son and daughter. And they would hear these words that their sins are forgiven when they call upon the name of Jesus. But God, for many in this room, it's just a religious idea. God, allow it to drop from their head to their heart this week through the creative ways in which you will speak. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. 